0: Hi, I'm Jim Martin. Adventure Rider Radio needs your support. If you like what we do here at Adventure Rider Radio and you value the information and the entertainment that we produce each week and every month with Raw, then we would love to hear from you in the form of support. We built the show on a model of some advertising and then listener support. So think about what you get from a cup of coffee and a muffin. Think about what that costs and then what you get from Adventure Rider Radio and... Drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support. I'm Sam Ted Simon It's Simon. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Bowman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson.
1: Jimmy Lewis. Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com Riding through mud on an adventure bike takes some serious skill. In fact, an adventure bike is is probably not the ideal bike. Well, definitely not the ideal bike for mud riding. A smaller, lighter bike would be much easier to handle in the mud. Certainly much easier to pick up. But that's part of the challenge, isn't it? I mean, the challenge of riding an adventure bike is learning to take them into places and do things with them that you almost wouldn't expect a large bike to be able to do. You wouldn't expect to see it there. I mean, that's sort of it. And and learning the skills that allow you to do this. And of course, those skills are transferable to a smaller, lighter bike as well. It just increases your overall skill. No matter how you look at it though, if you're going to ride through mud with your adventure bike, you're gonna need some specific skills for it. You're going to need to approach it in a certain way, different, of course, than hard-packed dirt. And you really should be prepping your bike even before you get there for riding in the mud. We're going to talk about all this today. We're even going to touch on some tips for those times when you maybe are surprised by some mud. You didn't prep your bike. You didn't plan on seeing mud for the day, but you happen to come across it. So there's some tools in there for that as well. And to give us some instruction and some tips on mud, we, of course, turn to someone that has plenty of mud experience Chris Birch from New Zealand has tons of mud experience because he's a diehard rider, a year-round rider. He rides the back roads and trails in New Zealand. And if you're not familiar with New Zealand weather, well, they get rain. I mean, they get a lot of rain. And they also have plenty of clay. So if you start with the clay and then you add plenty of rain, well, you get the picture. You get a lot of mud. So mud is common, and Chris lives and rides in a muddy country. Uh, Chris Birch is known around the world for his incredible riding ability. He's an ex-racer. He's won the New Zealand Enduro Champion eight times. He's uh, won the Roof of Africa three times. He's been on the Red Bull Romaniacs podiums seven times. He's also ridden the Dakar. And since 2007, Chris has been a KTM ambassador and now spends um, much of his time teaching riders from all around the world to improve their riding skills. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio, designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off road. Now, of course, this segment is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that, should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Chris, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for for taking the time out of um. You're, and you're having a busy season.
1: Yeah, I'm having what's turned out to be a very busy season down here in New Zealand. Normally used to having busy seasons, but uh, busy global seasons. This has been a busy domestic season.
0: Yeah, because normally you're you're sort of going around the world.
1: Yeah, so this is actually the first winter I've done in New Zealand for the for five years. Wow! So I've been kind of chasing the summer for the last uh, last five years, and this has been a a lesson back in reality
0: yeah I was gonna say that has to be a bit of a letdown for you because I mean if you're always away for the winter then you avoid the cooler wetter weather
1: yeah, it's definitely it's it's I've brought out riding gear that I haven't used for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I've done any less riding, you know we just, just power through our, our winters aren't so severe here they're just really really wet um, so it's just been yeah exploring parts of my own country that I haven't been to for a very very long time or haven't been to before at all, so there's been some real uh Real some downsides, you know. I've missed out some pretty fun things I was supposed to do this year, but there's been some real positives to it as well.
0: Winter in New Zealand is, is it still a riding season? Is it just like summer riding season and winter riding se- season?
1: Uh, it very much depends on the individual. Um, I think for the for the true addicts like myself, there is no such thing as a riding season. Uh, we're very fortunate that, especially up in the North Island, our climate is relatively temperate, so we don't get we don't really get any snow. It doesn't get too cold. Um, and then in summer, it's not too terrifyingly hot. So if you've got the right gear, you've got the right attitude, it, it's possible to ride all year round here.
0: Well, today we're talking about mud.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we still do okay for mud here. That's for sure. Even in our, like our shoulder season. So yeah, the average rainfall on the valley that I live in is close to three meters. So we do okay for mud. Man, Yeah, we had we had 250 millimeters of rain in one 24-hour period uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> that was a wet one.
0: How, how does that um, play out for erosion for you on the trails?
1: Yeah, that's a big factor over here. Um, it's it's a big issue. Um, we on The local trails that I use for uh, for coaching, that's something we put a lot of effort into water runoff and making sure that we don't create you know big trenches that... Uh, that, that uh, the water then erodes out. So we, we just have to stay on top of it. A lot of digging, mm-hmm. a lot of trail care. Yeah.
0: So you're going out go just maintaining the trails, what you're doing?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Lots of, lots of time on the end of a shovel. Um, just the problem we have is, you know, our being sort of a subtropical sort of climate. Um, our soil is that, you know, yellow, slippery clay. Uh, and then the guys will create a rut that runs up the trail that creates a water rut the water runs down, it gouges it out, you come back and it's, uh, oh, it's now three feet deep. Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to dig, dig, uh, those ruts out and, and branch the water off the track. Just mainly trying to control water flow more than anything else.
0: Yeah, it's surprising just how much damage just, even just a single rip up a hill can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, unfortunately that is the reality of our sport and that it has an impact. Um, yeah, I, I, the good thing for us um that kind of eases the pressure is most of our riding around here and where we do all our training it's in commercial forestry so you know you, you kind of get the guilt or maybe maybe we're ripping this trail up a bit too much but then you know that in a two or three years time they're going to drive massive machinery up it in the middle of winter and <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> any damage that we do will be long since forgotten <laughs> Hey,
0: yeah. So, so when it comes to mud, so what kind of mud are we talking about for you in New Zealand? Do you, do you have some sort of, um, I mean, do you have a story that would illustrate the point?
1: Yeah, I, like I said, unfortunately the mud that we're blessed with, especially in the North Island, is almost that worst case scenario. It's that, you know, that bright yellow, super sticky, super slippery clay. Mm. Uh, and when it's dry, it's like riding on Asheville, you know, you can do anything you want. And so uh, a story that that, uh, sticks in my mind was from the KTM Adventure Rally in Northland from two years ago. And it's a really beautiful trail that we got access to. It goes through a bit of private land and we managed to link it all up and it's really good bit of riding. And we were very keen to try and take as many people on the event through it as possible. But what we didn't realize was there was a super localized, like, like just one little valley rainstorm came through. And by the time I got to this bit of clay, it looked like a scene at a band of brothers. There was probably 50 people stuck in this one valley. All you could see was steam and mud going everywhere. And oh my gosh, it was just, yeah, it was was stressful. Uh, I've never seen, you know, it was the point where people couldn't even stand up, let alone lift their bikes up. And if we basically created a motorcycle trap, if you if you never it looked like we were trying to trap wild game
0: and that's one of those things too is once you're off the bike once you go down then it just goes from bad to worse
1: oh it does you know you fill up your gloves or you you know you you can't even hold on to the bars anymore your butt gets all covered in mud so you can't sit on the seat and yeah it it can be a nightmare things in spiral quite quickly in the mud are you a mud fan chris i kind of am yeah um Again, just like growing up where where I grew up um, and the country that I live in, you have a pretty narrow riding season if you don't want to learn how to ride mud. So for me, uh, when I was racing, especially racing overseas, any time it rained, I just had a big smile on my face because it, you know, it, it put the advantage into my side of things. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, well, this is um, our rider skills segment, and today we're tackling mud riding in the mud, which you're so gracefully going to teach us the tips and tricks that you know. Um, overall concept, how do we what? How do we approach this? What What are you going to teach us today?
1: Um, obviously, uh, I think the first point point to start off with is uh, is the motorbike setup. Um, it doesn't matter how great a rider you are, how great a mud rider you are. If you've got the wrong tyres, if you're not set up properly for it, it's very, very difficult. Um, the, the mental approach to it is really, really important. Uh, and of course, there are some, um, uh, some actual you know, physical techniques that we can use to, to make the mud riding easier.
0: Wow, that you know, I'm sure that some people were shocked to probably hear you talk about bike setup first, and then talk about and there's some some techniques that will help you or that could help you at the end. So, um, what's your what's the first thing that pops into your head when you think of bike setup for this?
1: Tires. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. 100. T- I know it's boring. I know. No, um, no, I
0: don't think it's boring at all. I think it makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people buy a 50 50 tire because they think that you know, oh well, that'll cover me in dirt and road.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the problem, and they often will. You know, firmer grounds, the dry ground, that sort of thing, a 50-50 tyre will take you almost everywhere you want to go, except for mud. There's, I've, I'm yet to experience any 50-50 tyre that works in mud. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where they all sign off. Uh, basically because anything that's uh, that's got a wide enough, uh, flat enough, uh, block that's not going to squirm around on the road. It just won't penetrate into the mud. It won't dig in. And the gaps in between aren't great enough for the tire to clear. So it's just going to turn into a slick really, really quickly. Unless, you know, we're talking like really sloshy, sloshy mud with a bit of stones and that sort of stuff. But any real tacky clay, anything like that, as soon as you go off road, those things just turn into a slick. And they just don't have that penetration, that bite down into the dirt to sort of lock in. And so that's Basically, we, from my experience, your 50 50 tyres just, sorry, can't do that.
0: Right.
1: So, we need to be looking at those more more extreme end of things, you know, the the, the big block style tyres that are going to bite in and drive you forwards and that are going to be able to clear. And something you taught, we talked about, um, I think the first time I came on this, uh, that's really stuck with me is you need to look at the tyre that's going to give you the most help when you need it the most. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh last Friday I really wanted to do this cool ride that I've had in my head for quite a while. We, we were trying to do four summits on this one mountain range in one afternoon and we, we started way too late and it got dark and all that sort of stuff, but didn't quite achieve it. But
0: <laughs> all the all the makings of a good adventure. <laughs> At least a yeah, good story. yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Winter, late start, disorganized, you know, all the good mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> um for that ride, I had, uh, we had about an hour and a half on the tar seal first, but I knew that we were going into some really serious mud. So I ran full blown motocross tires on my 790 and it was terrifying on the, on the asphalt. I had to go really, really slowly and just meander along, but there is no way I could have gone to the, any of those summits. I just couldn't have got there on anything that worked on the tar. Yeah. I just, it just wouldn't have happened. Right. So, you know, there's always that sacrifice in your tire choice. So,
0: so if if you find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're into some mud that you didn't plan for, maybe you you didn't change your tires up for knobby tires, is there anything we can do like tire pressure, things like that to to make it well to help us?
1: Absolutely. I mean you can you can help, you can't cure. Um so for something that we we you know, we talk about this a lot at, at our riding schools here in New Zealand, is that uh you know Our country, especially North Island here, is a really muddy, slippery country probably for eight, nine months of the year. So we're always trying to, you know, we're trying to say to the guys like a 50-50 tyre is about as road biased as you'd ever really want to go for if you're doing actual, any real exploring over here because you can't get off-road in New Zealand eight months of the year without getting into mud. Mm. Um, So we need to be kind of prepared for that. Uh, The first thing, the obvious thing though with... that we want to do in whether you're on a big spiky mud tire or a 50, 50 tire is to drop those pressures right down. And what that'll do is it'll give you way more footprint so that the tire will spread out more. It gives it way more flex as well. So there is a, that flex can help the tire to clear. So it'll help to flick the mud out between the, between the, in the gaps in the tire and allow you to kind of be biting in, not just riding along on a slick. So that flex is actually a really big part of it. And it's not just about the footprint.
0: Right. And, and, and also when you, if you were to go over like, a maybe a, a sharp knoll of a rock or something like that, rather than it ride up onto the rock, the, the rock sort of gets absorbed into the tire.
1: Yeah. So a good way to think about it is, is your tire pressure is actually, and when you drop that down, you're softening your initial suspension. Mm. So your, your tire and your, and your, and that, that cushion is the first part of your suspension movement. Um, so we're yeah, kind of, sense. we're softening that and, and getting it more compliant to keep the tire on the ground, stop it kicking and bouncing around the place, keep it locked in and keeping it driving you forwards. Um, the other big thing as well, you know, with, with tire pressure, we're always playing risk of tire and wheel damage versus potential for traction. So that's why we'll raise our pressure while we'll lower, lower our pressure. Generally, in the mud, we're not going very fast. So those impacts on the trail are going to be really reduced. The the likelihood of wheel damage, flat tires, is really reduced. So not only does it help us to get that softness in the tire, we're pretty safe to do it as well. So we can drop those tires a lot lower than we could do in in, in dry terrain.
0: When you when you say drop the tire pressure to what? Uh, how do you how do you figure that out?
1: Um, honestly, it's it's feel and what we need. Um, So, like I've often said, you know, I'd be genuinely scared to go adventure riding, especially in my country, without a pump. So that allows me to drop my tire pressures down to really, really low. So even on my big twin on the bikes, we're talking about you know nine, ten psi at at times. Mm. And what I'd be doing there is all I need to do is get through this muddy, horrible section where I'm barely even going walking speed at times. Mm -hmm. I just need to get through here with the least amount of fuss get back onto the firmer surface, and then I can pump them back up again. Right.
0: And, of course, that's where that's, our, our cycle pump comes in. When Cycle pump is a sponsor of the show. <laughs> I thought I'd throw oh, that in there.
1: For sure. So the, uh, it's basically about what we need to do to get the, the bike through that situation. So in that sort of situation, I'm, I'm basically disregarding my tire pressure gauge. That doesn't even come out of the bag. And it's what I need to get it through that. So. Okay. We had a, a guy stuck on a ride uh, a couple of years ago, I remember, and we'd be letting the tire down, letting the tire down, letting the tire down, trying to get this bike through the through this situation. It was a really stiff sidewall tire. And in the end it was flat. And we basically just needed to try, still try and get this thing through. And I'm, you know, what do we do? We could try sucking on the valve. If that might work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's that stiff of a tire.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're just trying to get this bike. It was a, a big KTM 990, and you know we weren't too keen to do any more pushing. So just we're throwing every trick that we can at it. So you're disregarding the tire pressure gauge at that point and just trying to get through this through the scenario.
0: Anything else um, as far as bike prep goes?
1: Um. Yes. Uh, if I, as I when I ride through winter, uh, I'm always really this is probably just a personal thing. I am, I hate letting my grips get worn. So when we're riding in lots of mud, obviously, uh, we get mud on the hands, mud on the grips, that sort of thing. Uh, a really worn out, smooth pair of grips can be very dangerous. You, you lose all your control. So I'll, I probably swap my handle of our grips three or four times during winter. So I've always got, I, I look at them like my tires. I want a sharp grippy edge to my grips. That, uh, that keeps that control when, when my gloves fill up with mud. That, for me, that's a, probably a personal bugbear, but it, that's something that I'm doing quite often. Hmm,
0: I like to hear that. That's that's interesting. It makes me think that I'm going to have to replace mine because mine are worn.
1: Right. So yeah, I keep fresh grips on my personal bike and then I swap the half-worn ones onto my rental bikes. <laughs> <laughs> the, another big thing to, fo- to think about is when you know you're going through a muddy situation like this is checking the free play on your clutch cable. So when we're in the mud, there's unfortunately ends up being quite a bit of clutch abuse. Um, we're trying to minimise that as much as we can. Obviously, but but the, you, you're going slow. There's a lot of clutch slipping. A lot of a lot of um, work for the clutch. So if it's going to be a muddy, slippery ride, I'll run more free play on my clutch cable to allow the clutch to get hot without without slipping. And I'm pretty conscious of. Uh, basically trying to give my clutch a rest as as I'm going through. So if it's been a really difficult bit I'll try and leave my clutch alone when the trail eases up again, try and let the engine temperature come down. So it's very easy to get sort of caught up in the moment and all the fight and the struggle of riding in mud and not monitoring your engine temperature, not thinking about the abuse that you're giving your clutch and the real thing here is if you burn a clutch out in a muddy situation oh my gosh Mm. it's hard dragging a bike out of that so
0: now now can you talk a little bit more about that you're you're saying you're adjusting your clutch so you have more free play because when the clutch heats up it, it eats up some of the free play can you talk about that
1: yeah so if some bikes are different uh, as the clutch heats up the bar the the clutch pull will get closer to the bar you'll increase your free play some clutches uh, you'll run out of free play so if the t- if the cable gets too tight so not enough free play the clutch can slip sl- uh, slightly the whole time it'll it'll be spinning up burning out and and, and destroying the clutch so uh, you know bikes that like CR650s, uh, it's quite a common one. We'll always just try and just check the free play on that once once they start getting hot. Um, a lot Lots of different bikes, actually. So we've just, just I guess, having some um, some empathy for your bike. Hey, I know you're working really hard today. I know this is a tough situation for you. Make sure you've got everything you need to get through there as, as easy as possible. Um, the other thing we'll do, especially on the, on the big twin cylinder bikes, you know, if we're riding a long muddy day is just keep an eye on the radiator. So it's quite easy for the radiators to become clogged with mud. And obviously that has a detrimental effect to the bike's cooling. So we'll stop in a river, stop in a puddle, slosh some of the, the mud out of the radiator. Even sometimes just take the fins off to clean them in behind the radiator and just, yeah, just looking after your bike and making you both get through it together
0: when you're in mud, it's easy to worry about yourself and think about how much work you're going through, and and not think about the the poor bike which is going through even yeah. more.
1: Yeah, oh, it's just as challenging for the bike, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. So now, what about the um, what about the foot pegs? Those rubber pads that you find on on some uh, stock bikes.
1: Yeah, so they just need to be taken off and thrown as far away as possible. Yeah, um, yeah, they they can be actually really dangerous in, in mud riding. Um, I find a lot of guys, once they take them off the first time, they never, ever want to put them back on again.
0: Yeah. I'm not a fan of them either to me. I mean, I, I know they absorb some vibration and probably if you're doing a lot of highway and you got a, a you know, a buzzy bike, it'll make a difference. So your, your feet won't get numb. But um, for me, I, I'm not a fan of them.
1: Yeah. The, the early days of my adventure riding, uh, one of my best friends, uh, a, a guy I went to school with, he had a, one of the old Trans Alps mm-hmm. and, You couldn't take the rubbers out on the stock foot pegs. uh, There was nothing underneath them. And the bike was that old. The pegs had drooped down quite a bit. And every time we'd go through a muddy puddle, he'd just blow both feet off, (laughs) get thrown to the seat, have a great big tank slapper and kind of just come out the other side, big big wave, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a thumbs up in the air and carry on to the next one. It was just hilarious. Every time we went through a puddle, it looked like he was going to die, <laughs> but he's a good enough rider to pull it off.
0: But. Yeah, I've, I've had my feet blown off as well. I'd be being surprised by a, a puddle on the top of a hill, actually, and I was on uh, this KLR with stock pegs, and it just blew both my feet right off.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it it's a fun. real confidence killer for sure. Oh, eh? yeah.
0: So what what about um, what about luggage? You know, if you're if you're packing some luggage with you, would you take that off?
1: Oh, I mean, if it's one of those, I just need to get through this hundred meter section and, you know, it, it's not working for you, then yeah, sure. Uh, it's a bit of a last resort sort of thing uh, in, in my mind. Uh, it's not something personally I've, I've ever done. Mm. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're on those big, uh, big long distance rides and you know, hey, the, you've scouted ahead, the road does come right in two or three hundred meters time and you're really, really struggling. Hey, anything you can do to make your life easier, for sure. I guess you're weighing up whether it's worth the effort or not, if the juice is worth the squeeze.
0: Right. Anything else for bike?
1: Uh, What else we got? So clutch, tire pressures. Uh, The only other thing you do need to keep an eye on uh, is some of the adventure bikes, the the front mudguard will get clogged up. And that can be really, really dangerous. The front tire will start dragging the whole time. It's almost like you're half holding the front brake. And that can let the make the front really, really hard to hold on to. So most of them the the more modern bikes now, it's not so much of an issue. Some of the older bikes, even some of the older like the KTM 950s, they used to clog up quite badly. And so we've had to take the uh, the front mud guards off completely to get through some of the muddy situations, and then put them back on again afterwards. But that can be uh, that can be quite a dangerous thing. So, if you've got a bike that's prone to that, uh, you can often modify the front mud guards to, to lift them up, lift them higher uh, away from the front wheel, and allow more mud clearance. And that that's a really good thing to keep an eye on.
0: Now, for, for modification, like, are you um you thinking like take that fender off, put a high fender on?
1: Uh, some guys can do that um, but even just uh, I think a lot of companies like like Churitec and these guys they make little brackets that just kind of lift it up maybe half an inch an inch that gives you that extra bit of clearance and lets the tire uh, spin through and, and clear the mud out right or a little bit of home engineering to make some some brackets to lift it up a bit
0: okay now um, now what about us um, the first question I was going to ask you is you know let's let's say you come to a section that, that's quite bad. Do you recommend that people keep their gear on take their gear off?
1: Again it, it, it's the whole is the juice worth the squeeze I, for me personally uh, I wouldn't be derobing too much um, obviously if you're if you're overheating yourself you know you've, if you' if you, you're too hot you're gonna have to drop layers that sort of thing to, to keep yourself uh, in check there. but in my mind uh, you know, I'm not thinking about a hundred meters of mud here. We're thinking about a muddy day. So that's not, not really a a possibility. Uh, I I think in that sort of scenario, again, you've just got to weigh up. Is it worth, is it worth the effort? Right. Um, Again, if you, if you're stuck in some horrible hellhole, you've been there for a while, you know, you're really starting to get desperate. Yeah. Take your luggage off, walk it ahead, take your jacket off, walk that ahead, get yourself as cool as possible. And then, you know, take your time through this scenario. Um, I would hope that with the, the right amount of prep and uh, the right amount of technique, we can not get to that last-ditch last effort sort of scenario. But not now, always possible, I guess.
0: Now, do you do you see this um, in, in this light, I, I think, of with a lot of things? Sometimes you're better off, and I think in a lot of cases when you come to this kind of stuff, you're better off to do whatever you can the first time. Do it right the first time. Because after that, it just gets worse. Do you use that mentality when it comes to, to mud?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and I think with that, a lot of that is just actually going for a recce. So a one thing we'll often say to guys, a recce. So you, you you're parking the bike, you're coming up to muddy section, park the bike, walk ahead, find the line, find the best case scenario, piece it out, and then get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, often once you've gone into the, uh, you know, buried the bike, got onto some sort of on the the wrong line, blown the traction to bits on that one. But it's it's really, really hard to get going from there again. So like you say, doing it right the first time, but taking the time to make sure that you get it right the first time by by figuring out what is right, it would be a, a great plan of attack.
0: Right. So, uh, well, let's get into describing the steps here, and maybe maybe we should do Chris is, is sort of talk about we've we've come to a muddy section that you've got to get through, right? So we're we're, okay. we're trying to cross yeah, this muddy yeah, yeah. section and, and do that. So we we ride up. Our our bike is prepped as you've told us. Now what?
1: So the first thing is obviously is your is your vision. So we want to identify this muddy section as soon as possible. So we'll say to the guys, you need when you're riding along, you need to have. Short looks, medium looks, and long looks. So your short looks would be, you know, that true, that rock, that bump right in front of you. The stuff that you can have to deal with right in front of you. Uh, The medium looks would be, you know, what's the entrance point to the next corner, the end of the straight, that sort of thing. But your long looks are as far as you possibly can see. So, all the way down the valley, is, you know, all the way to the top of the hill, as far as your vision will possibly let you. And those are the ones that allow you to see these things like this muddy section, that river crossing, that oncoming vehicle as early as possible. So you're coming up onto this uh, scenario already on high alert, looking for the line, looking for the sweet spots, trying to uh, give yourself as much time as possible to, to get access to the good line and get through there with the least amount of fuss as possible. So you're coming up to it with a plan already. So you're riding proactively, not reactively.
0: And w- when you say line, what do you mean?
1: Um, you know, is it the left hand side of the road? Is it the right hand side of the road? Are we trying to ride across the crown of the rut? You know, where is the traction? Where is where is it slippery? Where is it horrible? Um, so that you know, the line is literally the little line where you're where you're going to put your tires. Right. You're
0: and unfortunately,
1: and yeah, in mud riding, that's we're talking inches of, of lenience at times. Uh, even the, the, as simple as, you know, picking which wheel rut you're going to go in. you know, if if it's, if it's impossible to stay out of those wheel ruts like it so often is in the mud.
0: So before we talk about us on the bike and, and our position on the bike and how we're going to control the bike, how do you choose a line?
1: Uh, I, basically, you're, in my mind, the horrible answer to it is you're making instant snap decisions based on previous experience. Which is not a great answer to your <laughs> question, is <it>? but, uh, <laughs> no, but that's, I, I totally that's agree. the I mean, honest I mean, reality.
0: Yeah, that, that is, that's, that's the reality of it. But I think what I was looking for was um, sort of a description where you're, you're yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, you're looking for looking dry for? spots and, and ridges and yeah. things like that.
1: Yeah, so the first thing to look for uh, in my mind is we need to be looking for the good stuff, not looking for the bad stuff. So, Your big, long look, that identifies the bad thing. Oh, there's a horrible, big, muddy section coming up. From then on, you're disregarding the fact that it's bad. And your medium looks, as you're approaching this, is all about trying to find the sweet spots. You're looking for the good stuff, the stuff that's going to help you get through this with the least amount of fuss as possible. Where do I want to be? Not what do I want to avoid. We've already assessed what we want to avoid. Now we're looking for the positive, for the good. And that's going to be, like you say, the dry points if there are any. Um, little shallow ruts, so in the mud, a, a, a shallow rut, so a rut that's not so deep that it's going to foul your foot pegs and that sort of thing can be really beneficial. It holds your tires, holds your wheels, stops them from sliding out underneath you and you can hold more momentum down a rut than you could do like a, a slippery negative camber. Um, a big thing uh, is trying to find those, those key moments where you know there's traction, where you know there's your wheels are going to hook up so you can build momentum. You can brake, you can turn, you can ask lots of your tires in those situations. So you're like, okay, all this first few meters is all horrible. So I'm not going to really going to try and do anything here, but there's that really good spot, that that nice bit of grip. So I can turn off that. I can accelerate there. I can brake there. I can ask loads of my tires there. And that's going to set me up across that next bit of horrible stuff to get to the next really sweet spot. So you're almost looking for like islands of traction as you, as you go along. And as those, that traction can be created by, you know, dry spots, positive cameras, you know, things you can turn into rather than turn, turn away from. Um, and a big thing I'm always looking for is those beneficial, helpful ruts.
0: We're going to take a short break while I tell you about a, a couple of things that I think you're going to be interested in. Afterwards, we've got more tips and even some exercises that can better prepare you for mud riding. All that coming up. Stay with us. Well, I have a, a, a new addition to my motorcycle, the Atlas Throttle Lock. Now, I was going to say um, a Farkle, <laughs> but actually the Atlas works so well that it's, and it's so smooth to use. that It it feels more OEM than a, than a bolt-on. So throttle lock. Anyway, throttle lock. It's not a security device. It doesn't lock your throttle so you can't ride the bike. No. A throttle lock is a way of holding your throttle at a certain position so you can relax your grip. Um, I think it's invaluable for long rides, open stretches of highway, um, anytime that you're, you're riding long distances. You know, you get your hand into a position, your throttle hand. And just the nature of it, having to hold the throttle there, keeps you locked up, keeps your hand tense. Well, this way you can loosen up and relax. Um, it's, it's quite a great system. I've used one for years, but uh, it wasn't a love affair. Mine was a, a closed peg style that was. Um, it just has inherent problems with the design. You know, it's very, very basic, just clips onto the handle, but it's difficult to turn on and turn off. Basically, you're sliding it forward or sliding it back. It gets in the way. It has all the risks of, of jamming, even your own thumb catching it, etc. So it's it's a bit of a problem. And I would often take it off. I wouldn't even leave it on my bike. I would end up taking it off at different times, particularly when I'm doing technical riding. I find it would get in the way. But but this Atlas Throttle Lock, it's a piece of engineering craftsmanship. It really is. It has two buttons engage and disengage it's just so dead easy to operate and just a smooth press of the button does the engage and the same thing for the disengage it's just a really nice setup anyway the website is atlasthrottlelock.com, and uh, anytime you're dealing with them if you're inquiring or whatever just tell them you heard them here on adventure rider radio and by the way the owners of this they're riders themselves the reason they came up with this product in particular is because they were riding around the world on their ktm 640 and um, they were they were having trouble with the, the throttle position. Heidi and David Winters are their name. Uh, so riders, com. You know, anytime we're sharing the road with cars and trucks, which you can't avoid, we're all at risk riding on our motorcycles of not being seen. And that's what Cyclops Adventure Sports concentrates on. Their business is on helping us see and be seen with auxiliary lighting, cyclops makes all kinds of led lighting solutions no matter if you ride an old single cylinder bike or a brand new bike with a can bus systems cyclops has lights that are are made for your bike as a matter of fact they also make lights for atvs and and bicycles all types of things they have a product called the evo safety turn signal inserts it seems like a big name but it's it's fairly simple the thing is unbelievably impressive we're going to actually be doing a piece in in the in the near future on this setup these evo safety inserts replace your turn signals front and rear and the front signals become super bright auxiliary white driving lights led of course but when you turn on the signal that white light turns into an amber LED and it flashes just like new cars do. You know, in cars now, when, when they put on one signal, that headlight turns off and it makes the signal stand out to show that you're actually turning. Not to mention these signals, the, the flashing is so much brighter and so much sharper, sharper with the on and off than the stock incandescent light. It's just incredible. And on the back, the Evo safety inserts turn the rear turn signals into super bright tail lights so these are lights that on most bikes are not even on most of the time well now they're on so in the front you've got those white lights in the back you've got the tail lights a super bright led as well and when you step on the brakes for the rear you get these super bright led brake lights come on now these rear ones these these red brake lights that come on that turn those two signals into additional brake lights they are so bright that when you're going down the road at night and you just tap the brakes you look in your mirror you can see signs lit up way 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 down the road i mean and it's sharp it's bright because they're led they are super bright and they command attention they, they make drivers notice you when you step on those brakes you can't miss this this light show at the back really really impressive they, of course they, they change uh, into signals as well so if you have the brakes on and you put on your right signal they they will go that right light will turn from red now to orange and signal just like a normal signal so really just a, a beautiful system anyway cyclops adventure sports has all kinds of plug and play lighting for us motorcyclists for all applications it's a family-owned business and the riders as well cyclopsadventuresports.com is the website please throw in there that you heard them here on adventure rider radio cyclopsadventuresports.com i always think there's no better time to talk about this than when we do rider skills because ims foot pegs They're all about this. They're all about the connection between you and the bike and your connection while you're on the bike in the mud that we're talking about today, that connection for you, for your bike is through your feet. It's you're standing up on your foot pegs and that's why you need a quality peg. Now, not only does IMS design their foot pegs using their, their, their 40 plus years of experience of off-road racing, motorcycle riding. But their development included extensive testing with experienced riders to help design and build these foot pegs that they have for adventure riders. Now, one challenge in the mud is keeping the pegs clean. Almost mud almost clogs everything. It's very very difficult. You've heard stories about it. I'm sure we've heard stories here on Adventure Rider Radio. Yet, IMS products uses their watershed design on their foot pegs. And, and basically, what the watershed design is, it's um it's gone. They've gone through a bunch of work to make sure that the shape. All those angles are in such a way that the mud doesn't have a place to stick. It doesn't have a place to jam in. And even just standing on the pegs is enough to drop the mud out. And I've had them in some very thick mud, well, where I've dropped my bike over and it's been packed into the pegs and it's packed into my feet. And when I stand on it, I still get my full grip. As a matter of fact, I can't even tell I have mud on my feet when I'm standing on these pegs. Another part of what the, their design is, is the, the double rows of offset teeth, and that allows the peg to grip your foot without tearing the soles apart. I mean, you can, you can put just sharp uh, pegs sticking up or points sticking up, but they'll rip your boots apart. Their idea is to spread out more teeth alternately, and you get the grip but you don't get the tear. Really, really important. And that's the nuances of a quality product. I mean, I absolutely love my IMS foot pegs. Um, I've abused them terribly, I have to admit, and they still work for me and I can count on them. IMS Products is the website. uh, IMSproducts.com rather is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Are there things that you look for that you want to avoid?
1: Uh, obviously, yeah, like big, horrible, deep holes, uh, weird angled tree roots, all that sort of stuff. But I, in my mind, what I'm trying to achieve is I've already identified those and I'm kind of disregarding them in some ways and trying to make sure that my focus and my attention is on the good bits that I have to use, that I have to get to. So, you know, it comes back to, uh, to target fixation, right? So, you know, as we all know, target fixation, we go wherever we look. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to make that a good thing, not a bad thing. The bad thing is, oh, you know, you go wherever you look. So if you look at that horrible, great big hole that you want to avoid, sod's law, you're going into it. <laughs> if you're trying to use it as a positive tool, okay, tag—I go, my bike goes wherever I look. So we're, yeah. let's look for the good bits.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of people will say, you know, you need, you need to avoid target fixation you know, target fixation is bad because they've only really experienced the negative side of it. You know, you come over the brow of a hill, there's a big, horrible rock in the middle of the trail. You stare at the rock, you ride straight into it. Target fixation is bad. You can't avoid it. You know, your brain's hardwired for it. <laughs> That's how we work as human beings. All you can do is hope to use it for good, not for evil. So coming back to the mud, I'm trying to use this target fixation to make sure I hit these key points on the trail that are going to allow me to build momentum, corner my bike, brake, whatever it is that I'm trying to do.
0: Mm, that's that's really good. I like that. Okay, so um now uh, technique on the bike.
1: Yeah, what do we do? So just just to come back to this uh, that line selection, but a little bit a, a good story with this, um, you know, vaguely related personal stories um, as enduro races. I was taught that spectators do not stand where it's slippery. So (laughs) (laughs) I came across this huge swamp crossing in Red Bull Romaniacs, one of the first years I did it. And I ended up being the only guy that made it across first time because I came around the corner, luckily my vision was far enough that I could see it early enough. Saw this great big swamp, opened the bike up full speed and just aimed for this photographer that was standing in the middle of it. And I ended up just clipping the guys he came past, but he was standing on the only piece of traction, the only bit of firm ground in this whole swamp, and I was the only guy that came across it. And that was something one of the old guys in our club taught me really early on. It's never, you know, I've never forgotten. And in that moment, it, it got me through. People don't stand where it's slippery. People don't stand where it's soft and boggy.
0: Nice. I, th- I thought that's where you were <laughs> headed as soon as you said that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Of course, we're not doing that. <laughs> riding your adventure motorcycle, uh, or otherwise, <laughs> it's
1: probably not the way to endear yourself to other trail users. Exactly. I <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've picked our line. Yep. Um, the next thing is trying to uh, is trying to be hold momentum through this sort of stuff. So I normally try and say to guys like the second choice line with momentum and determination trumps the first choice line that's but going way too slow with no momentum, especially if you're on sort of um, more sort of 50-50 sort of tyres. So in the mud, you know, the bike's going to slide around, it's going to move. Our line choices can't be quite as precise as we'd like it to be uh, in, in firm firmer ground. So having said, you know, spend all this time talking about how important line selection is, we do have to be really, really conscious that we're going to have to switch to plan B almost instantaneously if plan A isn't coming off because that momentum is so, so precious. So if you've got, if you're holding momentum, plan B with momentum will probably work better than plan A going too slow from, from my experience, especially on the bigger, heavier bikes.
0: Right. And plan B should not be get, get on the gas and lean back. (laughs)
1: Sometimes it is,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but, but, but clearly you, you want to think it out in advance
1: because um, in
0: mud, that's generally not your thing that ends up uh, getting you through, is it?
1: So that's the other side of things as well is, is learning when to be smooth and gentle and hold that traction and knowing when you just got to open her out. Mm -hmm. So we're getting pretty high end here. So we're getting into real, real boggy, muddy, horrible, slippery stuff. And this is not something we sort of talk about too much with with beginner riders in any way. But when there is some traction, it's all about trying to keep that traction, hold that traction, being smooth, not spinning your wheels, being nice and, you know, controlled. When there's absolutely zero traction and you're just going through, you you know, ankle deep slop, You kind of just have to open her out, Mm. get that tire spinning. And it's almost like a paddle steamer effect. The more you can push out the back, the more you can propel yourself forwards. And that spin, that tire speed is going to allow the tire to fling the mud out, clear out and be biking with fresh, clean knobs, not on a slick. And often on a trail, you'll be swapping between, you know, gentle, 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 traction, traction, smooth, gentle. Oh no, the traction's gone.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, traction's back again. Back to being smooth and gentle. Right. And there's a, a real skill in being able to identify that, and it's a real feel thing, and that's something that we put into place a lot further down the track. First, we'd work on a lot, you know, the, the line choice, the control, that sort of thing, and then it's like, okay, we've got all this. Now we just have to open her out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so are, are we standing, sitting, and uh, and you mentioned momentum. How much momentum?
1: Um, That's a very difficult one to answer. Um, I guess you want to be, uh, a, a easy way to answer this would be you would want to be going as fast uh, with as much momentum as you can while still being in perfect control. So, obviously, we're not trying to, well, almost perfect control, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to sacrifice, um, control for speed because, you know, I'm not just trying to tell people just go cannonballing into it and hope for the best. Um, that's not really a long-term solution, no. but as, as much momentum as you think you can hold while still maintaining your control. Okay. And stand or sit? Um, I would go into it standing as much as I could. I would stand as long as I can until that's not an option anymore, at which point, in all honesty, I'm going to blow my feet off, um, <laughs> paddle like a lunatic, and then I'm going to try and gather myself up again and snap back up onto my feet when the attraction returns or any possibility that there would be. So, again, that that's flicking between plan A and plan B instantaneously, but with still trying to hold that momentum. So, plan A is to stay on the pegs, trialsy, beautiful, check me out if that's not working i'll drop straight to plan b which is on the seat paddling for my life and if i get the the slightest chance to do it get the balance comes back bit of momentum comes back i'll snap back to plan a ready to bail on it again in the next slippery bit
0: whatever it takes to get the job done
1: yeah yeah but the important thing there i think is that you're trying to find that opportunity to return to plan a which is back on the pegs selecting your lines that sort of thing mm-hmm. so a lot of guys, you know, they'll stand, 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 stand. Okay, got to sit now. Can't stand anymore. Drop to the seat. That's it. I'm on the seat until the end of this mud- muddy section. And then you, you're not, obviously, once you're on sitting down, you're not as dynamic. You can't move your weight around as effectively. You can't create the traction as effectively. So any opportunity you can get to return back to plan A, you've got to grab it straight away.
0: Right. And the bike can't move around either like
1: it wants to. Oh, oh it, it will. It's no, just going to no, I mean, take when, you when with you're it. you're sitting on the, yeah. yeah, it takes you with you, exactly. Yeah, and then
0: you end up keeping, yeah. the momentum ge- keeps it going in that direction. Um, whereas when you're yeah. standing up, it can, it can slip around underneath you.
1: Yeah. So another big thing I'm really focusing on the mud, uh, talking about moving it around, is I've got my finger on my clutch ready to go the whole time. So a, a big thing to remember is your bike will go sideways when there's a difference between ground speed and wheel speed. So if your ground speed and your wheel speed are mismatched, The bike goes sideways. That's how ABS and our track control work, right? So in these muddy, slippery situations, you know, we talked about, you know, we're trying to be as aggressive as we can, uh, as the situation will allow. If the bike starts to snap sideways on me, if I'm starting to lose that control, the first thing I do is I grab that clutch. I pull the clutch in. I don't shut the throttle because in that muddy, slippery sort of scenario, shutting the throttle, it takes a while for the engine and everything to spin down. So that takes longer for that tire and that, a wheel, sort of wheel speed and ground speed to match, and also the bike can then continue into a, into a compression slide, and the slide will continue.
0: Uh, meaning, sorry, just let me clarify that. So, what you're saying is, instead, if you if you chose to to take your throttle off rather than pulling the clutch, then it's basically like putting the rear brake on in in some way. It would lock up the rear it, wheel it can, or tend to skid the rear
1: wheel. Yeah, it can be. So for me, the quickest way to get my ground speed and my wheel speed matched again is just to grab my clutch.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's kind of how I'm shutting down a lot of these slides and these slips. So it's just that quick grab of the clutch, the bike comes straight again, then I gently feed that power into it again. So for like muddy, slippery stuff on a downhill, uh, we're going downhill. The way that I can keep my ground speed and my wheel speed matched so my traction is at the absolute maximum is I'll end up doing a lot of that with the clutch in.
0: Hmm.
1: So I'm, I'm basically rolling down to that stuff with the clutch in, and my, my tire speed and my ground speed are... are as as close to match as they could possibly be. So we talked before about, you know, being, uh, not abusing the clutch, being really consciously clutch, but you do end up using quite a bit of clutch in mud riding, which is why we've got to be uh, considerate of, uh, of that clutch.
0: Now, I, I know it's not necessarily for you because you're a professional rider and, and you know, one of the best in the world. Um, I, I don't know exactly where you fit into that, but but you're, you're, you're very exceptional. But for the average rider, should we be sort of prepared or at least think about going down? Because mud is, is very unpredictable.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the biggest thing we're always trying to focus on is not getting your feet trapped. So it's by, by going down you mean crashing right?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I hate to call it crash so, in the mud but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> tipping over, whatever. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing is making sure you're really conscious of your lower legs. So the most common injuries I see in adventure bike riding it's all uh I hate talking about it but you know it's broken ankles, uh, tibia fibias, that sort of stuff, squashed feet and it's all, you know, the bike sliding down your inside leg, you know, your foot stays on the foot peg way too long. The bike squashes your foot into the ground and that forwards momentum makes your foot turn around backwards. Mm-hmm. We call it back backwards foot syndrome. It's not cool in any way. So the biggest thing is just making sure that you're lifting your, your leg up, your inside leg and just getting that foot clear. So we talk about it a lot when we're practicing cornering. And we'll say to the guys, you know, if you start to feel that loss of control in the corner, especially when you're sitting down, try and bring your knee to your chin, just lifting that foot up, getting it up out of that pinch zone, and it makes it so much safer. Uh, and that's something that we need to be really, really conscious of the whole time. But like you say, particularly in mud, because it's, it's it's so likely to happen. Um, so we're trying to get that foot up out of that out of that pinch zone. The, the good thing generally in the mud is that we're not going a million miles an hour. So we are basically just tipping over. Mm-hmm. So it's just getting your foot up and out of the way rather than, uh, you know, we're not, we're not having great big high speed crashes in these scenarios, hopefully.
0: Now, do you have any tips for getting going again after you happen to stop? Now, that could be either going down as a crash or a fall over yeah. in the mud, or it also could be where, you know, you, you actually, it's just, I guess it's confidence you lose, isn't it? Where you end up stopping because, or you didn't pick your right line, whatever the case is, and you have to get going
1: again. Yeah. So the number one thing I always say to guys, just remember, there's no rush you know, we're, we're adventure riding, we're not racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we pick the bike up, get set up again, you know, maybe clean your hands off, you know, have a quick walk ahead, you know, you've already stopped. So ha- have a bit of a walk ahead, suss out the next few, uh, next few elements of the trail and just, you know, let that heart rate come back down again, let the adrenaline come out of your system from the, from the tip over and make sure when you get going again, you're in, in the right mindset to continue down the trail in a, in a low stress environment. Um, th- there is no rush. We're not racing. you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all very well and good for me to say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there is no hurry. That whole say not a slow thing, it's just good marketing, right? Uh, <laughs>
0: and that's your slogan, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, when, when you want to get going again, get, take the chance to make it easy for yourself. So... Maybe move a few rocks in front of you, kick the mud, the side out of the rut, that sort of thing. Make sure that when you get going again, those first few bike lengths are as easy as possible. And that's going to give you that opportunity to get back up on the pegs if you want to gain some momentum and, and carry that success down the trail. Um, even just, you know, clearing the rocks and the mud or, you know, making that little path in the next couple of little bike lengths can, that'll pay dividends in the next, you know, 100 meters. Mm-hmm.
0: Adventure bikes don't do well in mud, do they?
1: It's not where they excel. No, it really isn't. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you could put sand and mud as kind of the right. the, the, the full extreme limits of what adventure bikes are good at. Mm.
0: Yeah, and one of the big problems that is in picking it up. Because when it goes down in the mud, you, you do not only have a traction problem with your motorcycle, but you have a traction problem with your
1: feet. Yeah, you certainly do. And that's another big time where we're like, Okay. There is no big rush here, you know. Often you know, see guys, oh, they've got to get the bike up, get the bike up, yeah. get out. The the oil's not running out of it, the goodness isn't running out. Just take your time, you know. I'll uh, I'll use my heels a lot in the mud, so I'll, I'll jam the heels of my boots down and make little like pockets in the mud for me to push my feet into. That allows me to lift the bike without slipping out. Um, so I'll kind of like even dig in I like, make myself some little little grooves for my feet. That that really helps, but just not being in a rush. You know, you don't want to go and blow your back out lifting your bike up for, in, a, in a big hurry, and you know having your feet fall out in front of you. There's, you know, th- there's no big hurry to get them back up onto their wheels again.
0: Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to mention about hurting yourself, trying to pick it up. And there's some other ways you, you can pick it up as well. I mean, you, you could set up a, a block and tackle setup. And now you have a, a bit of an ingenious winch method. And unfortunately, Warren used to make a winch. They, they no longer make it. We had it. We talked about it here on the show. They no longer make it for motorcycles. But you have one in one of your videos. And that's, uh, that's part of your series, right? Is that still available? Yeah, it is. Yep. How would they find that video?
1: So the easiest way to get to it is, is through my website. So it's, uh, chrisbirch.co.nz and on the landing page, there's a link that takes you through to, uh, to Vimeo on demand, which is who we use to host the videos. Which video is it? It's the, um, we actually, I can't, I can brain remember it was a little while back now, but I think, uh, it'll take you through to Vimeo and then you can scroll through in each individual one. And I think it's, um, it's in mud riding in there and, uh, self-rescue or something like that right yeah so, and, and flick through it you'll find it <laughs>
0: yeah and that's a, that's a great method i love that so i think that's probably worthwhile i'm um, looking at and, and setting up your bike for and, and the whole series is worth it in, in my mind um definitely worth it so much information in there but um so that's it i mean you could you could winch out you could you could use a yeah. block and tackle if you're really stuck
1: yeah, I mean to be honest, I don't know too many people that carry a block and tackle, but uh, I definitely wouldn't go exploring in them. To be honest, I don't go do any real adventure exploring without a, a fairly decent length of very strong rope, because there's just so much that you can can do in these, to get yourself out of the out of the uh, out of the, the stuck out of the horrible situations with a good strong Dyneema rope is. Right. That's what I'm using,
0: and with pulleys as well. Do you carry pulleys with you?
1: Uh, no, I don't carry pulley. So this is how I ended up with the whole, uh, with using the back wheel as the winch. Yeah. Because I was going through it all in my head, you know, what am I going to take? How am I going to get out of the situation? Wouldn't it be great if there was like something I could just use like a winch drum to just pull myself up? I'm like, oh yeah, the rear hub, the bike's already got one of those. Like, Bur. um, <laughs> it, it took me, yeah, I, I was, that was the scenario. Am I going to start taking pulleys? Am I going to try and find a winch? And that all just, for me, just all seemed way too heavy and bulky. Yeah. And
0: well, and it also depends on, on if you're riding by yourself or if you're riding with other people, those sorts of things. I I certainly would never recommend mud riding for anyone by themselves. I'm sure you wouldn't.
1: It would be a bit, um, I would, Yeah. I would be contradicting myself. I said, no, never ride mud by yourself because that's... I, I, was just, I could tell by
0: the hesitation there. I thought you're hesitating because you like to go riding in mud by yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I like to go riding a lot and it's I can't always find a friend. And yeah. for some reason, not everyone wants to go where I want to go on my adventure bike. So that, that it seems to narrow people down quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why that is.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> some people have a different idea of fun. <laughs>
0: So um, what else as far as personal technique?
1: So a big thing I'm trying to focus on in in the mud riding is, like we said, I'm trying to stay up on the pegs as much as possible, Um, but I'm trying to stay really, really soft through my hands. So just like riding in sand, I really don't want to try and use my handlebars at all for creating the balance. So the mistake a lot of guys will make is, you know, when they start to lose their balance, they're using the handlebars to make little miniature sort of turns to bring the balance back underneath you. So all your corrections through your hands, when you get in the mud, each one of those is an opportunity for the front end to slide out. So in those situations, I'm trying to leave my handlebars alone as much as I possibly can and do all my corrections through hip movements, through foot peg weighting and through upper body movements to try and allow use my body to balance the, sorry, I'm wobbling around on my chair as we do this. That doesn't really help. Um, Moving my head around, using my move my hips around to to affect that balance, just to leave my tires and my wheels alone. So right, bike, I need you to go this way. So you just go that way, and I'll do everything I can do to help make that happen. whilst tracking on a straight line rather than okay, bike, I need you to go straight, and I'm going to make you do 52 t- two miniature corners to get there, and then I'll be surprised when my front tire slides out. Mm. So I'm really, really constantly trying to leave my handlebars alone and make all that work and balance correction through my body, and that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, so much so that we're, if we drop, in, obviously, where, where there's mud, there's often ruts. When I drop into the rut, the thing I have in my head, I say to myself, in "My head is um, is let go, let go of the bars." Obviously, I, I'm not completely letting go, but I'm letting go of all the tension in my hands. My arms become soft and floppy, and I let. The bike be guided by the rut, so I'm not trying to fight the rut in any way. You know, you're fighting the um, You know, you're never going to win that fight.
0: No, because as soon as you do it, that's when you start to fall
1: over. Exactly. Yeah, the, the front edge of the, of the of the tire is just going to grab the side of the rut, and, and down she goes. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to keep my upper body completely relaxed, so like noodle arms, and allow the the bike to be guided by the rut rather than fighting against it. It's tough to so, do. It really is. It really is, and, and it all comes down to you know correct standing position, being locked in through your legs. So one thing we talk about a lot of the schools is we try and ride our bike with strong legs. So you're holding your bike through your legs, gripping through your legs, and in these sort of extreme like muddy situations, that's I'm holding my bike with my ankles, with my calves, with my knees, the whole side of my of my leg holding onto the bike. I have a good posture through my hips, which allows me to use my core to stabilize myself. So I hold onto the bike with my, with my legs, I stabilize myself with my core and that allows me to switch my arms off and, and all the benefits that that creates. hmm
0: now, let, let me ask you about weighting, uh, front and rear, because a lot of what you're talking about was side to side, but I know some is, is front and rear as well. Now, um, some, of the, some people's thought process may be, well, the front tire isn't going to get much traction in the mud, so I should put some weight on it to get more traction. Uh, the other person's thought process may be the front tire doesn't have much to grip onto. Maybe I should get off of the front tire and put the weight on the back. Is there a rule of thumb here?
1: Uh, unfortunately for me, no, there isn't a rule of thumb because it all depends on what you're asking the bike to do. So we're, we're kind of waiting, whichever tire is relevant in the situation. So obviously if, if we're cornering in the mud, I need to get some more weight up there. I need to push that tire into there to try and get it to do what I want it to do. Uh, when we're tracking straight through the mud, I not normally on a straight trail, we're, we're pretty 50, 50, we're pretty balanced. Um, but in the mud, I'll move that balance more towards the rear.
0: Okay, because because so, cornering-wise, sorry, let me just interrupt, but cornering-wise, on an adventure bike, there's not much cornering that's going to be done, though, in, in mud.
1: I would completely disagree with that. Okay. Uh, you know, if the muddy trail has a corner in it, you've got to go around it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's it's very slow speed, so I mean, I, I was thinking... It,
1: it-, it is, Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that one. Like again,
0: yeah, I, I thinking guess. it's not like a race, you know. It's not like a, a track you're on.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I guess again, I'm I guess I'm influenced by the experiences that I'm having riding through all these muddy trails that we have during winter here, where you know it's not a muddy section. It's 15k of a muddy track, so that has lots of muddy corners. <laughs> um, uh, Yeah. So when we're tracking straight, obviously we do want that weight more towards the back of the bike. And we're basically, that is dictated by how much wheel spin we're getting, how much traction we need. So if the tire is spinning, I'll push my hips as far back as I can until that tire starts to bite and I get the traction that I need. If the traction's okay, I don't want to be hanging right out the back of the bike because I'm not in a stable position there. I'm not in my optimal stability at that point. So... If we consider normal riding to be like 50-50, if the traction's okay, I'll be like 60-40 towards the rear. I'm not right out the back the whole time just because I've gone to a bit of mud because that sets me into a a really unstable position. Obviously, when it starts getting muddy, when the wheel spin comes and we're pushing those hips back, 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 back to try and uh, weight that rear tire more and uh, create that traction. When it really starts to get muddy and slippery, a big thing I'm doing as well is I'll I'll move my feet right back so I'm on the foot peg. So I'm basically almost standing on my toes and then I'll drop my heels really low. So I've got a lot of flexion in my ankle. I'm kind of standing on the toes on on the foot peg and that really allows me to weight that back tire even more effectively. And I'll do that whether I'm standing on both foot pegs or I've got one foot on the foot peg, one foot on the ground, really trying to weight down through that tire. It's a, a technique that we get from hard enduro racing from trials riding. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, literally standing on my toes.
0: Now, when we're, we're talking about weighting that front wheel, what's the concern with, with adding weight? Because I think it's easy to think about adding weight at is adding traction to to the front wheel.
1: Yep, but that's exactly, in my mind, exactly that. And I, I guess when we, we were talking about these more aggressive, uh, more off-road tires, they're essentially like spikes in some ways. And the further we can drive that spike into the ground, the more traction it creates.
0: When does it go wrong?
1: Uh, in the mud all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as soon as that as that doesn't work anymore, as soon as it starts to slide, starts to let go we'll then try and replace that with throttle right so, we'll right, turn so, our, so
0: that's the, that little spot right there inserted in do that little spot where you said it no, doesn't no, work anymore that's the, the the point I'm interested in is because yeah. you went from a point where you could put weight on the front wheel to get traction but once you lose that that all of a sudden that asset becomes a liability doesn't it that weight forward because it, it does
1: what yeah it's, it's going to try and push that front tire even further uh, to the in a, in a negative way. Right. So in that moment, it's good. Oh, no, she's gone just hard on the throttle. So we're trying to turn a front tire slip into a two-wheel drift, which is a lot easier to control um, than uh, than just the front end going. Ah. So it's, the, you know, that whole like if in doubt power out right. that you hear people talking about, this is one of those situations. And again, be, we come back to these similarities between mud riding and sand riding. So same thing in the sand. If the front starts to tuck, if it starts to, you know, starts to let go we'll fix that with a throttle same thing in the mud if the front starts to let go starts to slide we'll try and fix that with a throttle as well doesn't always work but that's the tool that we have to try and fix the scenario and there will be a transfer of weight towards the rear at that time as well
0: so uh, is there is there some sort of advice that you can give someone to know when to turn around when they can't like when they're sort of getting in over their head
1: Oh, that's a that's a very personal one. That one, <laughs> I've, I've met some very stubborn people. <laughs> um, when you, uh, there's, there's the good old uh, trail riding golden rule: never ride down something you think you can't ride. You can't ride back up unless you're absolutely hundred percent sure the trail goes somewhere. Um, so when we're exploring and playing around in these muddy situations, you, it's always in the back of your head. You know, this this muddy trail that I'm riding down. Can I ride back up it?
0: Yeah. And and even if, it, even if it's, it doesn't have to be hills, it can be mud and rocks and things like that. And what I find sometimes happens with me, because I'm riding alone most of the time, is I think, wow, that was pretty bad, but you know, that's okay. I got through that. And then the next one was pretty bad. But then when they all add up, <laughs> when I start thinking about, if I got to do all these in the way back, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. 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 You don't want to be halfway through your energy at, at your turnaround point, do you? Exactly, you still want to feel yeah. like you've got a fair bit of reserve. Yeah. So- the 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 the, uh, the nasty trap to fall into, it. and this is something I've fallen into many many times. So you kind of get right. Let's just get everyone through this bog. It's got to come right after that. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's get everyone through this bog. It's got to come right after that. Yeah, <laughs> and you kind of have this, uh, you know, this horrible hate of like we can't turn around. You know, we're adventure riders, we're explorers, we can't turn around. And man, it's I've buried myself in these sort of situations yeah, in the past. Exactly.
0: Next thing you know, you come to it where it's all flooded out <laughs> and there's yeah, no going any further or something like that. And yeah. then you have to do everything in reverse and you've already made a track through it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you yeah. All the, all the mud and mess you've created, that's all your problem now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think to be honest, that, that's a hard one to answer because it's, it's very much, you know, it, it's a it's a, it's your personal, personal fitness, determination, frame of mind that, that that answers these questions, and it's. I think that's a very individual scenario. Um, I would hate to try and answer that for some people.
0: Yeah, I didn't think that there was an answer for, it, but I thought I would ask you anyway and see if you had some yeah, chunk of. a cheeky of, one. Have <laughs> wisdom that might fit in there and and uh, and answer the question once and for all for everyone. I mean, it's knowing yourself as a writer, isn't it? But but I, even as I say that, I know, and I was just talking with somebody not long ago where they were saying there was some research done where um, it uh, where where it basically shows that people always overestimate their their abilities, <laughs> and and I, and I was really interested in that because it was it was research that was done by I can't remember who it was. Now, now, but I, th- I was really interested in that because it does come into our field a lot when it comes to riding motorcycles. I mean, you you see it on the road a lot.
1: Yeah, you're right. You do. You definitely do.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Pro- probably more more so on the road than off road. I would say. Like you, we often you know when we get to off road, we're in a real height and sort of oh my gosh, this could get really gnarly. But then on on the street, you know that it's so easy to let that speed creep up, and then you don't realize you don't know what you're doing until you're in a really hard situation to get out of.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good observation. That That is true, for sure.
1: Well, okay, so um, I,
0: I mean, I think we've covered it then. Do you have an exercise that people can do to sort of slowly get themselves into what the bike will feel like and and understanding how they have to ride in the mud?
1: Yeah, there's, there's lots of little tips and tricks we can do to, to, to sort of practice this and uh, a, a really nice one that people can play around with you know, at home sort of thing is learning how to get used to the bike, the back tire and the front tire, not being in a line, the bike moving sideways, that sort of thing. So it's a a fun little one to try. Um, You need to find someone with a a curb on the side of the road and you ride, the the goal is to ride along with the front tire on the top of the curb and the back wheel on the bottom. Mm. So the bike's going to sort of crab sideways. And what that does is it teaches you how to use your body weight, your hips, to create that balance without your steering. Because obviously if you start using your steering, the tire's going to fall off the curb. It's going to go too far away from the curb. It doesn't work anymore. So you're using that, getting familiar with that feeling of the bike, crabbing sideways like it so often is in the mud and learning to uh, keep relaxed and, and use your body weight to maintain that. And, you know, that can be done.
0: Do you find this has to be what, like wet or anything like that? Is it enough to keep the rear tire from not mounting the curb?
1: Uh, if you get the angle right, it, it'll uh, it'll slide along quite nicely. Obviously, it's pretty damn hard on your tires. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend you go out and try this with your brand new $200 adventure tire. But it's a really, really good training exercise. Um, it, it forces you, it, te- it demands that you stay relaxed through your upper body, stay relaxed through your hands, which is uh, a really key thing to riding mud properly. Mm.
0: And I, I guess you could do the same sort of setup um, with a 2x4 or something like that on, on grass maybe?
1: yeah you can for sure yeah i'm just trying to think of something that's everyone has access to yeah no. which yeah uh, and it's something that I, I i play around with this all the time as well you know you you arrive at some at your buddy's house who's not quite ready yet and you just play around on the curbs outside the front of his house yeah <laughs> not everyone loves it but they get over <laughs> it in time the,
0: the neighbors <laughs> probably love this oh there's that hooligan oh, yeah. again
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I said do it outside a friend's house not your own house yeah, of course <laughs>
0: good advice so anything else for, for personal practice?
1: Um, the, I would say the biggest thing as well for personal practice as well is trying to get into that mindset that of focusing that target fixation on positive, not negative. So really, really working on keeping that vision up as far down the trail as possible. So you've got time to see these muddy situations, any trail obstacle as early as possible. Vision is so important to riding, uh, especially bigger bikes off-road, but any motorbike off-road. And a little thing I have in my head for my riding is if I'm ever surprised by anything on the trail, that's a reminder that, hey, 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 vision, eyes up, look down the trail. If that corner tightens up unexpectedly, hey, I should have seen that. Why did that corner tighten up on me? It tightened up on me because I wasn't looking properly. You know, why did I clip that rock that I didn't see on the trail? It's because I was thinking about what I was having for lunch, not focusing on my vision down the trail. So, yeah, I... For me, the, the vision side of things is just so, so important. And it's something that has to be consciously worked on. Um, you know, it, and when we bring that back to mud, the penalties to getting that line selection wrong, the penalties to not looking far enough ahead and ending up in the wrong rut in the, in the softest part of the mud is absolutely magnified. So it's good all-round stuff, but the penalties for, for mud riding is, it really, really, really starts to pay off. Mm-hmm. I would also recommend for guys as well to, to play around with some of that tire choice as well. Like it's when you go to a more aggressive tire in mud, it's like cheating.
0: But that's a good thing.
1: so uh, in, in a great way. yeah. 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 So like, I imagine like like an uphill muddy climb sort of thing with a 5050 tire. If I couldn't quite get up it with a 5050 tire with a more aggressive tire I would be able to stop on that hill. Smoothly let my clutch out and ride away again. Like it's, it makes such a difference mm-hmm. in these gnarly situations. Like it's, it's hard to really get that point across of what a difference tires will make in this scenario. Without until you've experienced it, like it is. Yeah. For for example, like the ride that I really really enjoyed last Friday night in yeah. all that mud, I wouldn't be able to go. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even bother trying with a fifty fifty tire. It wouldn't have been any
0: fun. It's really interesting to hear you say this because um, I, mean, I think if you look at just the marketing for tires, you could easily think that, okay, well, this is a, you know, the 50-50 tire or 70-30, whatever, whatever it is, you, you'd figure that, well, that's going to cover me. But the bottom line is knobbies are king off-road.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And it's not just like getting up that hill or going fast or anything like that. It's it's the bike not sliding out. It's not crashing. It's being able to stop. It's being able to steer you know, it's, it's, it's everything. Um, and yeah, they wear out quickly, but they do. Um, unfortunately that that's the, we come back to, I'm sure we've talked about this before and, and, uh, on Adventure Rider Radio in terms of real hardcore off-road performance. If the tire works, it's not going to last. If it lasts, it's not going to work. And unfortunately, you know, anyone that tells you anything different is trying to sell you something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just hasn't been, hasn't been invented yet. Now those retractable claws to me seems like, <laughs> like a good idea and they've been around on concept vehicles for a long time. So I don't understand why we're not seeing them in production.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's a conspiracy. Wrap, I've seen guys wrapping the uh wrapping tires with a rope as well. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> in, in desperate times. Have you ever done that? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, I just ripped the rope up to bits really quickly. Uh, <laughs> um, often,
0: I've often wondered if it would work. Like, it's the last resort. I've always thought, because I always have rope with me, cord with me, and I've always thought, I wonder if that's going to give a little bit more traction and last.
1: It kind of, I guess it would have to. Maybe maybe may try it again at some point, but I, I would think that the right tire would be the better way to go for it. Mm. What, what about so, chains? Yeah. You ever tried chains? No, no. I've seen, uh, I've seen a video of, a, of some guys in China doing it. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I think um no. one of the companies sells chains for for some BMWs. I think I, I saw that. Now, it might not be anymore. Oh, but really? I saw it some years ago. Yeah, they they sold chain sets for it. And I've often wondered. I know that I know of other people I mean, my dad told me of, of using chains on Harley-Davidsons and trials way many many years ago now. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, it's, I, I don't think it would be worth. I mean, it's like the winch, right? I mean, you're not you're not carrying a oh. winch with you.
1: No, I'm just and my mind's going to like severed Brake lines ripped out ABS <laughs> oh, yeah. sensors. Like yeah, yeah, you oh, yeah. might want to try that uh, on a cheap old bike before you try it on your uh, on your twelve hundred GS or your your brand new twelve ninety KTM. Exactly.
0: Well, have we have we nailed it? Is there anything else left here?
1: I, I, I'm pretty happy with that. I, yeah. I think a big thing as well is you know with the right technique and the mud riding can be really really good fun. Uh, I would say some of the most memorable rides in and, and, and a good way I've had have involved a fair bit of mud and, you know, suffering and playing <laughs> around. It, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had.
0: Yes, I, I tend to agree with that as well. And and, and Chris, I, I love having you on the show. I, I always pick up new things and the, and the target fixation thing, I think is just great because it is something that normally that's always a bad thing. And I love your idea of turning it into a positive thing because like you say, we are sort of hardwired for that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank the. the, the Sorry, the the click for that that we always say at the schools is you're always going to go wherever you look. Try and make that a good thing.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's great. Chris, thank you very much. I really appreciate
1: it. Only a pleasure. It's great talking to you.
0: That was Chris Birch from his training center in New Zealand. Chris has a a great online video program that he sells through Vimeo um, on video and on demand. That's where that video is where we were talking about the um, using the rear wheel as a a rear hub rather as a winch spindle and pulling the motorcycle out using just a cord tied to a tree or something like that. That's there um, on in that program is one of the videos you can buy. We have a link to that uh, in the show notes for this episode. We've got some photographs from Chris that he took of the mud that he was talking about, actually his mud uh, in the show notes for this episode Chris's website is chrisbirch.co.nz or .nz, depends how you say it. And of course, that link is also in the show notes on our website. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin who works in the background and especially to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this and if you're not doing it already and you want to be more of a part of this we need your support. The show is built on a model of some advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work so we need you to drop by the website AdventureRiderRadio.com click on the support button and see what we've got. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker or various stickers sent out to show our appreciation. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention, a shout out on our Raw show um, and we would love to get you supporting the show on a regular basis through our Patreon account. So anyway, drop by the website, adventurewriterradio.com click on the support button. When you are done that there's all kinds of things on the website to look at. Each episode that we do, we take the time to put in what's called show notes and our show notes have some details in there, some links in there about what things we've talked about on the show and also usually some photographs that often that haven't been seen before. So well worthwhile driving by and looking at the show notes for each, each episode. And on top of that, we've got a spot in there for you to make a comment. So we'd love to get your comments on our website for sure. Follow us on social media. If you're not doing that already, we're on Facebook and Twitter and and other things like that. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week.
1: This is Chris, the blind scooter guy, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.